0: that, and uh, you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be looking at the heart of it all and uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I want to remind us that we're in the last week of Jesus' life, we're approaching uh, Easter uh, uh, this uh, incident that we we'll read about today very likely happened on Tuesday or Wednesday uh, of uh, that we remember Jesus had gone into the temple and thrown folks out um, and um, we pick up today um, in verse thirteen. Um, And what I want to see is that, you know what, people, the the problem uh, for many in Israel, uh, in Jesus' day, was that they did not know God. They knew about God, and they did a lot of stuff that seemed godly, and yet they were miles and miles and miles away from God, because it's never been about, from Genesis chapter 1, it was never about doing stuff. It was always about having a relationship with God Almighty, and that is what makes the difference. Uh, And so we find in uh, this chapter, Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 44, which we're going to read in just a minute, uh, for. Uh, different uh, folks or groups that come to Jesus, uh, and one of them gets close, but the other has it figured out, Uh, and it probably was not who the people were expecting to have it figured out, as we'll see in just a minute. So read along with me, Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. So as they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. And when they had come, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and care about no one, for you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why do you test me? Bring me a Daenerys that I may see it. So they brought it, and he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus answered them and said to them, Render to Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at. Then some of the Sadducees, who say there's no resurrection, came to him, and they asked him, saying, "'Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies "'and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, "'his brother should take his wife "'and raise up offspring for his brother. "'Now there were seven brothers. "'The first took a wife, and dying, he left no offspring. "'And the second took her, and he died, "'and nor did he leave any offspring, "'and the third likewise. "'So the seven had her and left her no offspring. "'Last of all, the woman died also.' Therefore, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? For all seven have had her as their wife. Jesus answered and said to him, Are you not therefore mistaken, because you do not know the Scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But concerning the dead that rise, had you not read in the book of Moses in the burning bush passage how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there was no other but he. And to love him with all the heart and with all understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength, and to love one neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw, he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. And Jesus answered and said, While he taught in the temple, How is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? For David himself said, By the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore David himself called him Lord, how is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. And then he said to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes and love greetings in marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Now Jesus sat opposite of the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which makes a quandary. And so he called his disciples to himself, and he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that this poor widow has put more in than all those who had given to them to the treasury, for they all put in out of their abundance. But she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. And so here in the Gospel of Mark, we find four incidents that seemingly are somewhat disconnected, especially the first three and this last one. But really, they are very connected. And again, it goes to the issue of what's it all about? What matters? What difference does it make if you follow God or if you don't? That's really what all of these questions are about. And so these three groups of men come and they ask Jesus different questions, but all out of the same motive. And they were sent by the high priests from chapter 11. Remember, they'd already tried to catch Jesus, and they didn't succeed. And so they tried to catch him again. In fact, sent others to try to catch him and three times. And so... And then Jesus shares and quotes from Psalm 110, uh, which is the most quoted verse in, of the Old Testament in the New Testament, it's quoted more than any other Old Testament uh, verse, uh, which is pretty interesting, but he asks, why would David call the Savior's son? And then he, as they were sitting outside of the temple, and he could see the treasury where they would put in uh, not only their tithes and offerings, but they also had a temple tax that they had to pay. They didn't just pay government tax. They, they paid uh, a certain amount to help uh, fund the, the temple and to you know, all those kind of things. Because uh, we all know, you know, just like today, church, it takes money to run church. And so, uh, Jesus takes this lesson from this first question about taxes because the question really wasn't about taxes. And he ends it with a widow woman who nobody hardly would have paid any attention to or given a second thought to And she is the only one that Jesus lifts up and praises and says, Good about is this woman that gave less monetarily, but Jesus said she gave the most, more than anybody else had that day. Well, what on earth, how on earth can this be? And I think that Mark chapter 12 teaches us some very important lessons about what it means to live a life that is after God. And it's an, a lesson that we have to learn and we have to keep reminding ourselves over and over and over again. And the first lesson is this. It's not just our words, but intents and actions that matter. Is God concerned about our words? He absolutely is. A lots of scriptures talk about how we talk and the things that we say, and how important it is to be careful with how we talk. But God and Jesus understand talk is cheap. Lots of people say, Yeah, hey, I'm on God's side. Hey, I'm a Jesus teamer. And yet, they are so far from Jesus' team, they're not even in the stadium. Because it's not just knowing the name Jesus. It's not even about coming to church. It's not about putting money in boxes. That's not what it's about. It's about our heart and our life and whether we are centered our life around a relationship with God that has changed everything about us. So we need to understand that as Christians we do do things differently than the world does. But, you know, especially as you're young you want to fit in and go with the crowd. Well, Jesus said if you're going to follow me you're not going to fit in with this world. And in fact, there's going to be some times when there's enmity, there's division between you and the world. That Jesus said, if you follow me and you love me and you live like I live, they're going to do to you the same things they did to me. What did they do to Jesus? They spit on him, they mocked him, they crucified him. They thought he defeated him. But we all know that Good Friday was not the end of the story. That Sunday morning came, and Jesus that was dead was now alive. And we who uh, live with him and know him are alive as well, Scripture says. We've been given new life. It's not just our words but our intents, the desires, in other words, of our heart and the things that we do. Now, sometimes our desires or the things that we do are not good and they don't line up with God, and God knows that. But the things that characterize our lives should be things that honor and please God. And our desire should always be, I want to be where Jesus wants me to be, and I want to honor him in my life. And when we are growing and walking with the Lord, we don't have to so much wonder. You see, I don't think God's concerned that you figure out your tithe down to the penny. I think God says, listen, if you're going to follow me, You're going to show that in how you spend your money and part of it's going to be given to me. Not because God needs your money. And not even because the church needs your money. But because we need to understand that if our life's going to be built upon God, our finances have to reflect that. Because Jesus understood where our wallet was, that's where our heart was. You see, you can say that you love something, but unless your money follows it, you really don't love it. It's one thing. I love reading. I love books. Leslie will tell you I, I do love books. You look at—I spend probably too much on books that I have every intention of reading, but probably will never get to. Because books are important. And Leslie's important to me. Eating is important to me. The church is important to me. Hey, you were to look at our We don't keep a check registry anymore. Some of you probably still do, but probably most of us don't. We keep it on the computer and, you know, on the bank app. But you look at our bank. You know where our money goes? The church. Logos Bible software. Uh, Amazon. Leslie loves Walmart. In fact, they've invited Leslie to become part of their family. Uh, She spends so much money there. Because Jesus understood what we spend our money on is important to us. If something's not important to you, you don't spend your money on it. There are none of us, I don't think, if this doesn't apply to you, you let me know because we need to have a talk, but none of us have a, as far as I know, an unlimited supply of money. We have a very finite supply, and it seems here lately that it's getting more finite, amen? And so we have to be very careful about how we spend our money, and so we only spend our money on things that are important to us. And so it's not that Jesus needs your money. And it's not that you know, God doesn't want us to grudgingly give. In fact, the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. He wants us to give not because we have to. And sometimes people say, Preacher, I'm chasing a Man, I promise I'm going to catch it and we'll make stew out of it and move on. So, you know, do I tithe on my gross income or on my net income? And I tell you how I answer that, friend. That is entirely the wrong question. Think God is much more concerned with whether you're giving or whether you're not. Because when you're giving and your heart is you know, following the Lord, if you need to give more, guess what? The Holy Spirit's going to say, Hey, listen, I saw you wrote that check. Rip it up. You need to give more than that. He'll guide us and direct us. It's not about the money. It's not about the taxes. It's not about worrying about who's going to look after our wife or our husband when we're gone from this world or whether we're going to know each other in heaven. I don't think that was the point of Jesus bringing this up. It certainly wasn't the point of the question that these men were asking. And it wasn't even about following the commandments. The scribe came and said, listen, what's the most important commandment? Jesus gave the good Jewish answer. It's quoted in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. And it's still today, you know, every day the Jews would say that, this phrase, uh, and just every worship service begins with it and ends with it. And it simply says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And verse 5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And they knew that that was drilled into them from children's church. They were knee-high to a grasshopper. They heard that over and over and over and over and over again. And guess what? For most of them, it never sunk in. They knew it. They could quote it frontwards and backwards. But they didn't live it. And you see... God wants us to understand it's not about just knowing the right words to say. It's about doing the right things in the right way and out of the right motives. Then secondly, I think Jesus reminds us that truth matters. And that truth that matters is not our own truth. God's Word says you do not have the right to make up truth. Truth is truth. And if it's true, it's true for everyone. Regardless of how we may think or how we want it to be or how we're comfortable with, truth is truth. And we are not the author or the determiner of truth. God is. And so, all three of these groups try to come and they try to trap Jesus into this religious box. Questions: Should we pay our taxes or not? Hey, in the after death, when people get to heaven, and the they didn't believe. In angels, they didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in life after death, and so they were talking out of their mind. You know, they were, they weren't being sincere, because they didn't believe that any of that. said, so they thought it was all garbage. And so Jesus says, "You know what? You have known neither the scriptures nor God." That was a major indictment on these men. He said, you are greatly mistaken, because God is the God of the living. They referred to him as the God of Abraham, of Jacob, and of Isaac. Understanding, though they didn't have a full understanding of how it worked out that they were alive and that they were with God. Yet, the Sadducees, they denied the resurrection. And the power of the resurrection. Because you see, that's the power, the thing that separates Christianity from other, every other world religion is this. Christianity believes it has a resurrected Savior. And Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said, if Christ isn't raised from the dead, then me and every other Christian is in big trouble. And we're in worse shape than anybody else in the world. But praise God, Christ is not in a grave. He's at the right hand of the Father of God. So he reminds us that truth matters. And understand in this lost, dark world, truth matters. Matters. There's war going on in our world about what truth is. And for some, they want to believe that truth shifts or that truth can be made whatever you want it to be. And that just is not the way it works. The truth is God's Word is what never changes. And God's Word is what the truth is. And Jesus is what the truth is. He said in the Gospel of John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And that's an unpopular statement. say, oh, you Christians are discriminatory. Well, the thing is, God's not discriminatory. He loves everyone. And he offers salvation to anyone. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That offer is made to absolutely everyone, but only those that receive it get the benefit of it. That's very unpopular in this world. But truth matters. And can I tell you that today, perhaps more than ever in the history of this world, this world needs to see men and women living the truth of God's Word. They need to see it. They need to see it make a difference in your life and in my life and the life of other Christians. It's almost a cliche. that says your life might be the only Bible that some people will ever read. And unfortunately, as much as I don't like that because it's cliche-ish, it's true. I've met Lots of people They have made statements similar to, I could be a Christian except for the Christians that I know. And lots of people think they know what God's Word says, but they've never really studied it. And friend, that's why it's so important for you as, as God's children. If you're going to know the truth, guess what? You've got to know it. And if you're going to know it, you've got to digest it. That means you've got to regularly read God's Word. And not just read it and say, well, I'm going to go see what I can find for me and how I can twist this book to line up with what I want it to say. No. It's coming to this book and praying and saying, God, help me see and understand what I'm reading and help me to apply it to my life. Understand that Scripture does not say today anything it didn't say in the first century. Now, the way we apply it may be different, but it's the same word. God didn't all of a sudden in 2023 decide, oh, I think I made a mistake back there, let me just change that up. No, he didn't. What was true even back in Adam and Eve's day is still the truth today and will still be the truth when Jesus Christ comes back for his church, whenever that will be. So understand, truth matters. And friends, you need to know the truth and let the truth shape you rather than you trying to shape and determine what the truth is. Truth matters. And then lastly, as we wrap up this morning, this understanding that not only do we need to know the truth that it's not just our words, but it's our actions, the desires, the intents of our heart. And not only does truth matter, but lastly, we need to understand and know that when truth changes us, it shows. There's not one of you that's perfect and you're all pretty good, I think. I'm your pastor. Uh, some of you had me really, really fooled. But you're probably not as good as I think you are. But also you're not as bad as Satan thinks you are, or says you are. Because by the grace of God, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're new. You've been bought with a price. You've been given a new life and a new name and a new destiny. And when that's true, do you make mistakes? Absolutely you do. You say, absolutely you do sin. Absolutely you do things that make God's heart break. But here's the thing. When you do those things... You you can't just slough it off. It impacts you. And it bothers you because it bothers God. You see, before you know him, you didn't care about what God thought. And you weren't concerned about the things that God was concerned about. But if Jesus Christ has changed your life and you have a living relationship with the God of this universe, the things that impact him and the things that Concern him, concern you. And the fact that your life is changing is evident. You can't hide. There are a lot of people that say they're Christians, but you couldn't find a shred of evidence. And by the way, Jesus said you can't find a shred of evidence probably because they ain't. In the reality, if you have to wonder if somebody's a Christian. They're probably not. They're at least not living like they should be. But here's the thing. God doesn't sit around and judge it and say, well, no, they ain't doing what they should. I think I'm just going to wipe them out. He's calling us to repentance. And he's calling us, hey, depend on me. Because the reality is you can't be the man, you can't be the woman that God's called and created you to be without his help and without his power working in your life. And so the point of it all, the point of this whole chapter is this. It's not about the money. It's not about the boxes that you check. It's not about how many times you show up for church or how many good deeds you've done. It's about loving God. Because when you love God with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, something happens. Your behaviors are very different. Because, you see, before you met Jesus, what controlled your life and what you sought after was you and what you wanted. And you were concerned about how things affected you. But when Jesus takes control of our life and he changes us and he makes us new, Things that are important to us change. And so we don't have to figure out to the penny what, how much we ought to give to the church. We give because we trust God and we love God and he's given so much to us. And we give some back to him. And Jesus shows it beautifully with this widow woman who didn't have much, was poor, and put in just a little bit. And Jesus says to his disciples, and by the way, Jesus knew because he was God. He knows everything. Not because they had a board on the side of the temple that said, hey, listen, uh, Chuck gave this many uh, denarii today, and you know, such and such gave this many. No, he knew because he was God. He knew how much, but he also knew the heart and he was much more concerned with the heart than he was how much somebody gave. Which tells me that if our life is, we're trying to follow Jesus, there's going to be some changes. The very fact that you're here today think it shows God doing something in your life. There's a bunch of heathen folks, and there's even a bunch of people that call themselves Christians that are not in church today. But you thought it important enough to be here. Not because I take role and I have a chart out front, maybe we ought to do this though, put you know marks when people are here. Uh, no, you're here because God, God loves you and you love God. God's important to you. Are there other things you could do? Listen, even if we have air conditioning that re- works reasonably well right now in here, you had to get out in what feels like 100-degree weather. It wasn't when you left this morning. It probably will be by the time we get done. a lot cooler at home. There's probably some f- preseason football game that you'd rather could be watching instead of listening to sermon. There's other things you could be doing and yet God is important enough to you, you say, you know what, I'm going to go to church. And again, it's not so that we can check boxes. It's because we love God. And He loves us. And so He doesn't have to make us do it. We want to do it. Listen, coming to church should not be a burden. I hope and pray it's not. But I'm the preacher, I tell you, there's some Sundays I don't particularly feel like getting up and coming to church. But I'd also tell you, those are the very days I need to be here the most. And more often than not, those are the days that God takes something, maybe it's something in my sermon, a song that's sung, something, and, and does something particularly special. And I would have missed it had I said, you know what, I ain't going to do How many blessings do we miss out on? Because we're not allowing the truth of God to change our lives. And so we need to understand that none of us are perfect, but if you're growing toward Christ, it's evident. It is evident that you are not what you should be, but you're not what you used to be, the praise God. And that God is still working on you. This little old song. Perhaps you sung it at Bible school or church camp. Uh, it says that God's still working on me. How loving and patient he must be. Said so in just a few days he made the moon and the stars, Jupiter and Mars. But God's still working on me. And I know God's still working on me and his truth is still changing my life. And I know he wants it to be changing yours as well. And I do see evidence of that. But you see, it's not the things that we do. That's the point of it. It's not, does what you do matter? Yes, it matters. But the thing that is most is what drives your actions. And Jesus said, it better be the love of God and the love of your neighbor as you love yourself. Because guess what? If you love your God with all your heart, you're going to try not to sin. You're going to try to do things that are right. Not because you have to, but because you know that's what God wants you to do. And if you love your neighbor, you love yourself, you're not going to lie to them, you're not going to you know, smack them, you're not going to cheat them, you're, you know, You're going to be honest, and you're going to help others. You're going to be gracious and loving the way that God was gracious and loving towards you and forgiving the way that God forgave you, as we talked about a few weeks ago. So understand this, that the Christian life is not a bunch of do's and don'ts and checkboxes that you have to check. It's about knowing God, and not just knowing Him, but loving Him. You see, Satan knows God. And he knows Jesus. And he knows the Holy Spirit. But he doesn't love them. In fact, he hates them. And is warring against them. It's not about just knowing. It's about loving. And friend, I want you to know, regardless of whether you love God, I want you to know today, God loves you. And God says to you, there's something different. There's a better way. Listen, you don't like the direction you're going. Change directions. Sometimes the discontent that's within us is holy discontent, and it's God telling us, listen, dum-dum, quit doing what you're doing and do what I've told you to do. Not because we're saved by the doing, but we do because we are. And we're wanting to become what Jesus wants us to be. And that's something wonderful and something good. Let's pray God. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and your love to us today. Lord, we pray that you'd meet with us and speak to our hearts even now as we conclude this service. Lord, I pray that If there's one here today that never experienced the love of God and the change that comes from a relationship with him, oh, God, today might you come and visit them. Might today be the day that they finally surrender their life to you. Lord, maybe there's one of your children here today, and they do know you, and they love you. They're saved. But, Lord, they know you're not where they ought to be. And, Lord, again, it's not about the doing of checking boxes, but loving you. And so we don't have to check the boxes. The boxes check themselves. Because you and your Spirit direct our path. Lord, thank you that you are a loving God, that the truth of 1 John 1, 9 is true. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or maybe there's one of your children here today that, like David, needs to cry out, Lord, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Because the joy comes not from doing, but from being. But being leads to doing. God, help us to be your people. Help us to love you and to follow you, to desire the things that you desire. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. We're going to sing this little chorus. Maybe God spoke to your heart today. There's a decision you need to make. Today is a great day to make that decision, and this is a great place to make that decision. So let's sing together. The altars are open. If you need to come pray, please do so.